0: Amen. Thank you, Vic. All right. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, before we start this morning, I just want to recognize uh, Weston. Weston, could you stand up? <laughs> Weston. Um, <clears throat> some of our young people, Weston, Daniel included. Um, <clears throat> Weston really took the, took the lead in uh, 50 hours, uh, organizing 50 hours of prayer and worship uh, for OSU campus. Um, how many hours did you lead yourself, Weston? 20. <laughs> 20 hours of playing. I mean, two hours, for those of you guys who have led sets, like, two hours of singing is tough, right? Like, it's, and it hurts your hands to play for that long. Like, I can't play for more than two hours, or it hurts. Weston, that's also true. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a humbling reminder, but, uh um, must have led over the, over the weekend 20 hours, by, uh, on his, sometimes by himself in a room. Um, yeah, even with nobody watching um, and nobody there but, except for Jesus. So uh, really moved by that and uh, just really, I, I know a lot of people, <coughs> various ministries and churches uh, joined in um, and uh, really united a lot of different college students. I mean, I, I was talking to my sister that they last night were in um, the Union, which is like the big building on campus. The students meet in, and there's this rotunda um, that, uh, you know, we used to actually do some prayer and worship in, and uh, my sister and I remember, and Becca remember some of that um, there, and as my mom mentioned, that was a long time ago, but, <clears throat> but still, that worship would arise there. I mean, man, that was 10, when was I in college? Long, long time ago. Anyways, <clears throat> so yeah, I just wanted to recognize Weston um, and, uh, and Daniel for doing that. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, so today on this Sunday we're going to continue talking about um, the end times, all right, the, the return of Jesus, and this week um, we're talking about Israel's role in the end times. And I think it's it's perfect, you know. Um, Becca and Priscilla, and I, we we get together and talk about you know what we're going to um, <clears throat> sermon series and things like that. And we had kind of planned on the Maranatha Summit talking about a lot of end time stuff before Joel Richardson came last weekend. Um, but it's funny, actually, the, the layout that we had has two weeks on the end of it talking about Israel in the end times. And, and then all of a sudden, um, there's this call for the Isaiah 62 fast, which I know a lot of you know about. We've put on the announcements and we're going to continue to talk about, but that actually falls in two weeks, like in two weeks time. And it's actually perfectly lines up with what we're talking about these two Sundays. It's like, I I don't know. It's not our own wisdom, but God, we didn't plan that, but God, um, has put that together. And I, and hopefully as we talk about this, more and more of us can catch, um, what's on God's heart for Israel? Um, to get get a, a desire and excitement for that Isaiah sixty two fast, and it's happening all over the world. Um, I was talking with my cousin in Taiwan. Believers out there um, are excited for the for the fast as well. Um, are catching that fire and that desire to pray for Israel. Um, and uh, and our church here is is one of the hubs for that Isaiah sixty two fast. So the more we talk about Israel, um, really pray over these next ten days or so um, to really consider what is God calling. Um, you to do, personally, and also corporately, together as a family. So um, so we're going to dive into Israel, um, and again, in this series, we've talk- been talking about the end times, the signs of the times, um, <clears throat> the millennium, the millennial kingdom, and then specifically this week, we're going to talk about Israel's role in all of that. The scripture passage we're going to be basing off of, our, what we're talking about today is actually Genesis chapter twelve, one through 3, and it's my honor to invite our our scripture reader for the day, Isaac, to stand up. Isaac, would you bring us the word this morning? All right. All right. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go. Okay. Go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. round of applause for Isaac, our scripture reader, this morning. We're going to be calling on more people on Sundays to read scripture, so you may be next. All right. But thank you, Isaac, for reading that. That scripture, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Again, Genesis 12, we're at the beginning of the book, right? And It's funny because we're talking about end times. We're talking about like the end of the book, right? But for Israel, we want to start at the beginning of the book, the beginning of the story. And who knows what this passage is called? What's the fancy official name for it? Anybody? Anybody? It's the Abrahamic covenant, all right? Which is just a fancy way for saying this is the promise that God made to Abraham, all right? His covenant. There's only a few in the Bible, that big C covenant words. And this is one of the earliest, okay? In fact, there's only one, really one more before that, which is the Noah's covenant. and That's the sign of the rainbow. Here is, is the big promise that God gives to Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish people, the Abrahamic covenant. <clears throat> I think it's important to start here when we're talking about Israel's role in bringing about end times world redemption, it actually starts with this promise, all right, this promise that God gives Abraham, and we're going to dive more into it, but again, really, we're, this is talking about Abraham, is talking about Israel, Israel the land, uh, many of us have had the opportunity to actually go to Israel, to the Holy Land, and, and stand in that land, <coughs> and the nation itself, um, as we know it, is not that old, right, 1948, that's not that long ago in the big scheme of things, in fact, some of us here can remember a time when Israel was not, right? Before born before nineteen forty eight, so it's really not that long ago that Israel as a nation, as we know it, has come about. Or oh, sorry, forty nine. Wait, no. For, oh, oh yeah. Okay, maybe not. Old. Oh yeah. Well, shoot. Okay, I thought for sure that <laughs> maybe nobody here does remember, but there's plenty of people out there that do remember. Okay, Mr. Possum, our neighbor across the sea, he remembers. <laughs> He remembers that Israel was not, okay? And it's a small nation. I I think most of us um, who have gone there, at least for myself, the first time I went there, I was struck by how small it is, okay? It's small. It's tiny. You go around and you read these stories of like, oh, they went to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, it's more like a lake, right? Like it's like, it's it's, it's small, you know? And then like this mountain or this hill, you know, you go like Mount Zion, you hear Mount Zion it's a hill, right? Like it's a hill. You know, here in Ohio, we talk about like, you know, oh, we're going out to the Hawkin Hills and stuff like that. Californian people, when they come here, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a hill. That's like, a, like, that's like nothing, you know, to them. It's not nothing compared to the mountains that are in California. The same way when you go to Israel, it's small it's very tiny. in this in this picture here you can see how Israel compares to New Jersey, okay? And New Jersey's not even that big, right? It's just a tiny it's a tiny state. If we compare it to Ohio, uh, it's almost half the size of Ohio. All right? So Ohio's about 44,000 square miles. Um, Oh, wait, sorry, fourth, yeah. Yeah, all right, even super small. I think I might have Ohio's square mileage maybe missed up there. Anyways, I think it's closer to half. I might have the wrong number of square miles there. But, anyways, <clears throat> Israel, but we all know Israel, right? Around the world, everybody knows Israel as far as um, one of the most contended uh, locations in the world, right? People have been fighting over it. For thousands of years, thousands of years. All right, Ohio's bigger than Israel by at least twice, if not four times. Uh, who's fighting over Ohio? Right? Like you go out, if you go overseas, tell people that you're from Ohio. Very few people even know where that is. Right? But if you went to China, talked about Israel. People know where that is. Right? It's been said Jerusalem has been called the most fought over city in history, and yet it's such a small place. Why? Why? Because it's a spiritually important place. Not that Ohio doesn't have promises over it. Not that Ohio is not a spiritually important place. But not like Israel, right? There's not 4,000-year-old prophecies about Ohio, you know, but there are about Jerusalem. There are about Israel. <laughs> and that starts with that Abrahamic covenant, and that ends with the end of the story, the story that we've been studying, the story that we're reading about, the story which our hope is tied up. <clears throat> but again, it's such a small place. If there's so much fighting, so much anger, so much uh, controversy uh, about it. And in fact that that hate for Israel, you know, we have the usual suspects, you know, we know you know there's there's hate from its neighbors. I mean every single neighbor, if you look at the map of Israel, every single neighbor has tried to invade it, right? Every single neighbor has fought with it. Every single neighbor has wanted to destroy it, all right? We don't like Canadians, but they're not trying to invade us, right? Like all the time. <clears throat> the Mexicans are not try, are not trying to invade us. Every single neighbor around Israel hopes, desires, prays for its demise, right? And so that hate has been going on for thousands of years. But that hate hasn't come just from their neighbors, just from um, you know local uh, the you know Muslims or, or other people nearby. That hate has oftentimes come, unfortunately, from within the church itself, all right? within the body of believers. How sad that is. You know, those of us, um, those of you guys who were able to hear, <coughs> excuse me, Joel uh, speak last week. Um, he had a quote from a, a, <clears throat> a Christian, you know, uh, somebody who's like, "Well, this is a brother in Christ." If that quote was talking about how much. Um, the Jewish people uh, ought to be wiped out. It was a terrible quote i 'm trying to find it. i couldn 't find it, but here 's another one in, in a book I read recently. This is a famous reformed theologian, Lorraine Bettner. <clears throat> we should point out further that those who today popularly call jews aren 't reality not Jews at all. Legitimate Judaism, as it existed in the Old Testament era was a divine origin, had very definite content of religious and civil laws, priesthood, ritual sacrifice, temple, sabbath, etc. But with the destruction of Jerusalem and dispersion of the people in AD 70, that system was effectively destroyed. It has not been practiced anywhere in the world. That desire to wipe out that Jewish identity, wipe out the Jewish uh, name, that culture... Uh, replacement theology is what we call it. Replacement. It's no longer important to the Jewish people. No longer a people. We don't have to worry about them. He goes on to say, With the establishment of the Christian church, Judaism should have made a smooth and willing transition into Christianity and should thereby, thereby have disappeared as a flower falls away before the developing fruit. Its continued existence at a, as a bitter rival and enemy of the Christian church after the time of Christ, and particularly its revival after the judgment of God had fallen on it so heavily in the destruction of Jerusalem and the dispersal of 70 AD was sinful, all right, sinful. I mean, imagine being a Jewish person who doesn't trust a Messiah, but hearing words like this coming from Christian people or people who claim to follow that same God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying it's actually sinful for you to exist still like you're sinful for you to be around like you shouldn't even be here right they get that from their neighbors they get that from their neighbors, people who don't know the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they also get it, unfortunately, from people in the church. Right? But this is the root of what the idea of replacement theology is. When we spiritualize the promises of God, when we say those things are, are just kind of ethereal, abstract ideas, they're not actually applicable today, then you come to this, come to this kind of theology. This, you come to this sort of uh, belief. <clears throat> and hate continues um, to grow uh, for the Jewish people. <coughs> Why? Why? You know, why? And that's what we're going to talk about <clears throat> today, is because they are so important. They're so central to what God's plan is for the return of Jesus. They're central to the promises. All right. So, why? Why is there so much hate? Well, what does the Bible actually say? And why are they central for God's plan? And why are they the focus for Satan's rage? All right. These will answer some of these questions. <clears throat> And again, it starts at the beginning of the story, all right, the beginning of the Bible, God's promise to Abraham. I'm gonna read it again, what what Isaac read for us. Out of Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Now God had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right. <clears throat> Again, the Abrahamic covenant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God. <clears throat> Excuse my little like throat irritation. I've got <clears throat> this weird throat thing. Pray for me. Um, <clears throat> The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 has three parts, all right? That passage that we just read, three promises in the Abrahamic covenant. And it's easy to remember them if you remember this little, uh, it's not really a mnemonic, but a little rhyme, I guess. God promises Abraham an heir, he promises him an heritage, and he promises him an inheritance. Three parts, all right? An heir, I will make you a great nation. A heritage, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And an inheritance to your descendants, I will give this land, All right. Three parts, again, inheritance, hair, and heritage, all right? Jesus Christ. So this is the beginning of the story in Genesis, the end of the story in Revelation. We know that Jesus, ruling and reigning from Zion, fulfills all three, all right, all three. And we're going to look at that. And that is important because that centers around Jerusalem, that centers around the Jewish people, that centers around the Israel. All right, that's the end of the story. Israel is a connection throughout Right? And it's the beautiful picture of how God fulfills that promise. All right? <clears throat> it's really easy to lose track of that story. I mean, it starts at the beginning of the Bible, ends at the end of the Bible. It's really easy to, to lose track of it. But that's God's plan all along has been to fulfill that Abrahamic promise, that Abrahamic promise. He, he remembers. We forget, but God remembers. All right, And it's easy to, to forget because you know our lives are, are, are so short. Our, our lives are, are, are brief. Our memory are, is short. But the Jewish people have been remembering. They've been keeping the book for generations, all right, generations. Um, You know, you guys ever read the book of Numbers and you're like, why are there all these names, right? Like all these names, generation over generation over generation. And I'm I'm the same way. When I was a kid, it's like, I'm gonna read the Bible through cover to cover in one year and then you get to Numbers, you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) right? Like that's a stumbling block. You're like, get to this generation. But actually, the more that I read and study God's promises, Numbers is actually a beautiful picture Of remembrance, right? Um, All of us, uh, you know, we're we're believers. Everybody in this room loves Jesus. But if you go back, maybe one generation, two generations, three generations, our ancestors were idol worshippers, right? Pagans, all right. Um, Worshiping worshippers are devils, ignorant of the God of Israel, right? The true God of the universe. Not that far, not that long. In fact, I I can't even. I don't even know my my. I I I don't know my. great grandfather's name at all like I don't know it. do you guys in fact I was shocked Weston um one time I was here in the prayer room and Weston was worshiping with somebody on the phone (laughs) like a FaceTime worship I was like oh Weston who are you worshiping with like one of your friends from high school he he was worshiping with his grandma (laughs) and I was like that is that's awesome all right my grandma passed away when I was pretty small I never got to sing songs with her worship with her anything but Weston knew his grandma really well but if you go back even a generation before Weston do you know your great-grandparents? Okay. Oh well, or maybe Weston's not the best example. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know your great 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 parents? Do you know their names? Uh, (laughs) I didn't want. Okay, but think about you for yourself. How many of you can actually identify the names of your great grandparents? I have a chart. (laughs) (laughs) Or your great great grandparents, right? I can't. I have no idea. There's no record. There's no. Uh, there's no written down. No, nobody knows, right? Nobody knows. For my family, at least. Okay. Uh, we, I know my great grand. Like I think my great grandfather was a, a sheep, a sheep farmer in Taiwan on my mom's side. Yeah. But apart from, yes, yes, lambs. We. That's what. My, yam. Oh, I thought they were <laughs> lamb. Are we lamb farmer? Are we lamb farmers or yam farmers? <laughs> mom doesn't even know what a yam is. I think we're lamb farmers. Sweet potatoes. <laughs> Sweet potatoes. <laughs> Lambs. Yeah, we're lamb. We're lamb farmers. We're <laughs> lamb farmers. In fact, our last name is in, in, in on my mom's side is young or like uh, is lamb. All right but we know we don't know the names right and then, and beyond that definitely like my great my grandfather on my mom's side became a christian before that everybody generations pagan worshipers right i love this chart cuz it uh, it's probably hard to see on the small TVs but this is a chart and again i'm not going to get into like timelines of how long and generations things like that but this is this is actually a secular chart all right this is a secular chart <coughs> assuming and again secular people believe in in what they call mitochondrial eve like scientists believe in a mitochondrial eve one mother all right, for the entire human race, right? they trace back to about 11,000 B.C., depending on who you ask in Bible, like, you know, uh, timelines, you know, Adam, you know, 4,000, 6,000, 10,000, depending on how you count different generations of the Old Testament. But again, I, I just, uh, forget about the, the numbers for a second, just look at the pictures, all right? I can only count two at the bottom right. All right, two real, But if you count back all these generations, all these different people, the one, this one I love. It says, your great-grandmother time 77 was friends with Jesus. All right, 77 generations back. Weston might be able to count back you know, four generations, and he knows his great-grandfather's name was Gene, but you can't count back, count back 77, right? <clears throat> 77 generations. But look at all those different people, all those different generations of our ancestors, right? All, those, all that different time frame. That middle <coughs> written history or around the Egyptian pyramids time, that would be Abraham. All right? that, that's around the time the, the, the pyramids, they think built, you know, 4,000 some BC, 5,000. <coughs> Within a, a thousand year ballpark of Abraham. That's how many generations. It's just that half part of the chart. Yeah, I, I can't even remember, right? I can't remember. I can't write that down. But the Bible records that for the Jewish people, right? They have a remembrance. They have a record of it. Unto God's faithfulness, because God doesn't forget all right, those promises. He wrote them down. The Bible—they've been keeping it. I haven't kept a record of our family. You guys probably haven't kept a record, of family. But those promises, the Jewish people have remembered, and they are waiting for. They're waiting for. Them, all right. <clears throat> so again, it's easy to lose track of that story—Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant beginning, all the way to the to the Revelation promise end of the story. It's easy to lose track, mm-hmm. but God has given the Jewish people a remembrance, uh, a genealogy to remember. And they're waiting on those promises still. You know, ancient civilizations, when we look at prophecy in the Old Testament, they're still waiting for fulfillment of it. H- how many prophecies are there in, in Chinese history that we're still waiting for? There's not. I mean, the Buddhist people aren't waiting for prophecies uh, to be fulfilled, right? They're not. They're not. <coughs> but the Jewish people are. All right, And that story, this Israel's unique role in the story, again, starts with Abraham. It doesn't start with my great, great ancestor, Juan, whoever the person. It starts with Abraham, <clears throat> So God needed to start with a family. All right? He needed to start with a family to fulfill out the promise, and he chose Abraham. He chose Abraham and that decision that the promises he gave to him have lasted are till this day and will last until the end of the age. And that's what he promised. All right? <clears throat> um, they're unique. right? They're unique in the history. Um, many people want to replace the Jews with Christians, all right? Um, but this is not how Paul views the the, the covenant. This is not how uh, the early church fathers viewed the covenant either. Oh, this is kind of just a slide, kind of in tying in with that. But if you think about like how many different ancestors you have, like the craziness of 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 it, you just go back like four generations, uh, and it's like sixty four people that like are your great grandparents, right? That exponentially grows. I just think that's kind of cool. That's just kind of cool. But <clears throat> again, that just goes to show how easy it is to lose track of that story. <clears throat> but they remember. So again, we looked at um, the Christian people, people who love, who love Jesus, who don't know that story or don't see that faithfulness of God through the through the annals of the Bible and uh, the genealogies. Even that theologian, Lorraine Bettner, saying, hey, Jews should have been wiped out, right? They should have been, uh, they should have been erased. Again, that's not what God says... Um, in the Old Testament, and it's not what God says in the New Testament. And we're going to look at what Paul has to say. <clears throat> Paul writes ex- uh, explicitly about the Jewish people and their continued role. All right? And Paul is the, one, is the theologian whom which we have the most writing in the New Testament. He, he sculpts our modern theology the most of any writer in the New Testament, more than any of the other apostles. <clears throat> There's this beautiful stained glass uh, in Christchurch. church. This is the, the church that we stay, uh, a lot of us have stayed at in Jerusalem. Uh, there's this beautiful stained glass in their chapel. And it's probably hard to see, but if you look closely at it, <clears throat> it's actually an image of, of what Paul describes as, as um, in Romans. But this is the root of the tree, all right? And here's a natural branch. And uh, <clears throat> here uh, there is a grafted branch, and there's branches that have been cut, cut off here. Okay, it's a beautiful image. Um, I, I love it. It's a <coughs> an awesome stained glass, um, but it shows grafted branches, and that's based in Romans 11. All right, and Romans 11 is where we go to to answer some of those people like Lorraine Bettner, the theologian, um, who have a blindness to see this very passage, Romans 11 verses 19 through 24. You will say, then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own? <clears throat> this is the rebuttal to replacement theology. This is the grafted in. God didn't replace them. They were cut off, but they, keep, they will be grafted back in, and they're the natural branch. We are the unnatural branch grafted in, All right, the wild olive. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's, re, it's grafted theology. Versus replacement theology. And when the Jews accept Jesus as Messiah, they're the natural branch to the natural tree. All right? And that's the plan. That's the plan at the end of the age. <clears throat> Paul goes on to describe it. All right? The plan has always been for the salvation of Israel but that's after the salvation of the nations. Paul goes on in Romans 11 to say in verse 12, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the whole world and their failure is richer, riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, all right? Do you hear there the echoes of the Abraham covenant? That's a piece of it, all right? That the world, the families of the world would be blessed Through the Jewish people. And you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's that heritage promise in the Abrahamic covenant. The first piece is that for all of us Gentiles, again, we saw that picture. We were pagans, right? All our ancestors worshiped idols. But we were, by Jesus' blood, grafted into this promise, this Abrahamic covenant, blessed through it. Blessed through it first. So the plan has always been for the salvation of the nations. (coughs) If you guys get a chance, we, we recorded it on YouTube, but um, Joel had a message on Friday night called Jacob's Trouble uh, about very specifically diving even more into this idea of replacement theology. And if you have a chance, I encourage you to go to the Faith, Hope, Love YouTube to, to check that out. But it was, it was a very powerful message. <clears throat> and go dives deeper into this. So again, that Abrahamic covenant. Being fulfilled as we speak, we here in this room are are proof of it. All the people of the nations blessed because of Israel. We know the true God, not because um, our our forefathers were these awesome pillars of faith. Again, they were pagans, right? But it's because of the message that came through Christ, through the Jewish people, the promises that they held on through, through the Old Testament. We here can stand in faith and be grafted in, all right? The plan was always for the salvation of nations. That's that Abraham covenant the eventual plan is for the salvation of israel paul goes on to write again in romans 11 for i do not desire brethren that should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in and so all israel will be saved all right so until until that time there's a partial blindness he calls this a mystery there's two parts of the mystery one is that there's a partial hardening or a partial blindness in Israel. And the second part is until the fullness of Gentiles. <clears throat> and we know and we understand this, fullness of Gentiles to mean the completion of the Great Commission. I mean, guys, we live in an awesome and amazing, unique time, right? We already talked about how Israel existed, 1948, right? This is a unique time where this first generation to see the nation of Israel were born. We're also in a unique time where the Great Commission is reaching all the ends of the earth, right? We have the internet, we have translators, <clears throat> Bible translators think that they'll have translations within our lifetime for all the different languages, right, to reach all the the unreached people. We could see the the finishing of the Great Commission. I think we will see the finishing of the Great Commission in our lifetime. That's the keys. Those are the two pieces of this mystery to unlocking and removing that blindness and the plan for eventual salvation of Israel. And Paul just says it simply, all Israel will then be saved. That's always been part of the plan, right? Again, going back to the Abraham Covenant, all the nations blessed, And then God is also promising Abraham he's going to have an heir. All right, he's going to have an heir. And when God makes a promise, He keeps it. All right, He's a promise keeper. When I make a promise, maybe right, it's unsure. Sometimes a little flaky. I'm late to events. I'm you know I'm I'm not great at being a promise keeper. God is on time. He's perfect in remembering. The Old Testament um, there's this word uh, Olam uh, for everlasting. All right, it's an everlasting covenant. Um, Let's see right here. Hebrew for everlasting, olam. All right, I looked it up in Strong's dictionary. It happens about sixty times in the Old Testament, and every time in the Old Testament where it writes olam, where everlasting, it's almost always dealing with either the covenant, all right, one of the covenants that God makes, an aspect of God Himself that He is everlasting, and then also the land. He describes the land of Israel as everlasting. The hills as everlasting. So the three three different types. You can take all sixty of them. And they almost all fall into three of these categories. All right. <clears throat> Let's look at the covenants. We talked about the Noah covenant, Genesis chapter nine, when the bow is in the clouds, rainbow, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth, all right? The Abraham covenant, we read, and this is an extension of it, Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, that olam, everlasting, to be God to you and your offspring after you. To David, he makes a covenant. 2 Samuel 23, David described it. For does my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Right. Everlasting, that olam word. And the other aspects of it are, again, that God calls himself everlasting. He says, I'm everlasting. Everlasting, to everlasting. The psalm, the writers of the psalm say, God is everlasting to everlasting. He's a faithful God. All right, well, if we believe that, we cannot call God everlasting and faithful and then say, well, his everlasting covenants aren't actually so everlasting. He's everlasting and faithful, but actually, these promises that he made, not so Olam, right? They're temporary. We don't do that with the other covenants either, right? We don't look at the Noah covenant and say, well, you know, uh, it's actually fulfilled and, uh, you know, there might be a flood next week because he could do it. You know, not an everlasting covenant. But we do that with the Abraham covenant. We do that with the Davidic covenant in the church sometimes. We say, well, it's, it's not an everlasting covenant. It's already been fulfilled, right? No, it's everlasting. It's forever. There's no fulfillment. It's everlasting. <clears throat> so again, <clears throat> if we believe that God is, is faithful and true and everlasting, we'll believe that his covenants, his promises in the Old Testament stand forever. We cannot both praise God as everlasting to everlasting, but say that his promises are not. All right. <clears throat> <clears throat> um, I want to give this, uh, there's this quote, uh, I guess I'd put it in, but there's a quote that I love, um, and uh, <clears throat> well, West Hall says this, God's strategy in saving Gentiles first and the nation of Israel last is all about God's plan to redeem the greatest number of human beings at the greatest levels of love and meekness for all eternity without violating their free will. It's about filling the earth with his glory. So it's all about his plan to fulfill that Abrahamic covenant. But again, we temporize that covenant and say that it's already been fulfilled and it doesn't make sense. Um, But there's a a famous theologian, Robert Jameson, in the 1800s, who says this, and I, I love his quote. It's about the Jewish people and how, as a church, we oftentimes do replace them in our thinking. But if the curse foretold against Israel has been literally fulfilled, so shall the promised blessings be literal. We Gentiles must not, while giving them the curse, deny them their particular, their peculiar blessing by spiritualizing it. All right. I'm going to read that again. It's so good. If the curse foretold against Israel has been literally fulfilled, so shall the promised blessing be literally literally fulfilled. We Gentiles must not, while giving them the curse, deny them the peculiar blessing by spiritualizing it. And that's so often what we do. We read that quote from Lorraine Better. Um, Joel had this quote from another theologian. The, all of them just say, hey, the Jews should be should be gone, right? Like they're, and they're cursed, and they recognize their curses, Holocaust, all these different times they were kicked out of European countries. Uh, I think we talked at one time about Tisha Bav in, in another message. There's a whole day that the Jewish people have for remembering all the bad things that have happened to them right? Like we have Chinese New Year to remember like the good things. We don't have the day of remembrance for all the bad things that happen to Chinese people because there isn't one, right? Like we don't have a remembrance of those days. Even here in the U.S. we remember good things, right? July 4th, Independence Day, Memorial Day, all these good things. We don't have a day of remembrance of bad things, right? They have an actual day of remembrance for bad things. The curses are literal. You look across history, the curses are literal, all right? But the blessings also must be literal as well, all right? We cannot take that away from them. But it's so, um, you know, when we talk about some of these theologians that do do that, that replace the Jewish people, you can see why it happens. It's kind of easy to do, right? It's easy for us in our pride to do that because it's kind of offensive. It's like, well, why did God choose the Jewish people? Well, why not the Chinese people? Uh, You know, it's funny, uh, Ken uh, and I were talking yesterday about uh, Koreans. I had a Korean roommate in in college who loved being Korean. The Koreans have a lot of Korean pride. Um, Anytime he would cook rice, he'd say, like, this is Korean rice, not Asian rice, Korean rice is better. I was like, dude, that's the same rice that we cook. Like he didn't do anything different. He's like, no, the water ratios are different. It's better. It's Korean rice. It just tastes better. I could blind test, you know, eat Korean rice. And I know that it's Korean rice. Or like, I, I, I brought like an Asian pear one time. He's like, oh, you brought Korean pears? I'm like, no, dude, that's an Asian pear. We all have them. They're not Korean pears. <clears throat> A lot of a lot of pride, right? We all have a lot of pride in, in our in our ancestry. You talk to Janine, she's very proud to be Italian, very proud to be Irish. Um, Asian people, we're very proud to be Asian Chinese as well. Uh, you know, you talk to any Chinese person, you know, they'll be like, oh, five thousand years of unbroken history." You know, just like we're the we're the Middle Kingdom people. Why didn't God choose us, right? Why it's 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 an offensive thing. <clears throat> But uh, praise the Lord that in his wisdom, he doesn't pick people because of uh, accomplishments. He didn't pick people because of qualifications. And in fact, he very explicitly tells the Jewish people to their face in Deuteronomy, I didn't pick you because you were good. Like, I picked you because I'm good. He's sovereign. All right. Deuteronomy 7, he says, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. Sounds pretty good, right? So far. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Hey, pretty nice. But it was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and shows you, for you were the fewest of all people. Oh, that took a turn, right? (laughs) It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. He's keeping the oath, right? He's keeping the oath that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. All right. Later on, again, in Deuteronomy 9, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God is driving out before you, that he may fulfill the word that he spoke to, his, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. All right? <clears throat> I mean, that's some harsh words, right? <laughs> it's like, Harsh words, but true words coming from the very lips of God. He says explicitly, I'm not doing this. I'm not keeping this promise because you're great. I'm keeping the promises because I'm faithful to the promises that I gave to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, he's faithful. Amen? It's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. again that's the answer to this replacement theology that's the answer to it it's answer to our offense at saying why the jewish people like again they haven't been that great and they haven't been perfect i mean they have persecuted the church there's this perfect you go to I mean, we've talked you go to jerusalem I, it's not like they're like oh super excited to see you there right like as as christians uh, they're they're not that happy about it either <clears throat> it's not because they're awesome it's because god's awesome right? and he's faithful to them <clears throat> And God is sovereign. He didn't pick the Chinese people. He didn't pick the 5,000 years of unbroken history inventors of, uh, of noodles and inventors of gunpowder and, uh, you know, earliest written culture. You know, again, think all these different things that Chinese people, you know, exalt themselves about. He didn't pick us. He didn't pick us. And it's not because, you know, A, we're better, B, we were worse. It's because he's sovereign. All right. God says in Exodus, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whoever I have compassion. It's his wisdom. It's his wisdom and how he's going to work out all these different things to bring about, again, that, that quote from Wes Hall and Mike Bickle, I think it originally comes from, he's done it. work all these things out so that the greatest number of human beings will be saved at the greatest levels of love and meekness for all eternity without violating their free will. It's about filling the earth with his glory not with China's glory, not with Israel's glory, not with the people group's glory, but by his glory, all right? Praise the Lord he didn't pick Chinese people. Think about how much, like, how much, like well, not only 5,000 years of Rogan history, but the Lord gave us his promises to our ancestors. I mean, it would just be, uh, yeah, <clears throat> you would never hear the end of it. Or if he picked Koreans, I mean, every single time you ate a single thing, it'd be like, well, the Korean version's better, right? <clears throat> uh, yeah, All right. amen. So this is called the scandal of particularity, all right? It's like we are offended initially at this idea that God would choose somebody specially, right? But it's less offense. It's, it actually humbles us and it humbles them when God does it not because they're better or good, but because he's good, all right? So that reverses that, that offense into saying, oh, God, thank you that you're sovereign. Your ways are better, all right? That's the scandal of particularity. End of the day, God is sovereign, all right? <clears throat> Tying it all in here together today, Again, what are the promises that are centered on Israel? We started at the beginning of the story, the Abrahamic covenant. God promises an heir. He promises a heritage. He promises an inheritance. And again, all that is fulfilled in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Jesus describes himself even in these terms. I am the root of David. uh, I am the offspring of David. The Davidic covenant, the promise to David is actually uh, uh, an even more focused um, promise of that Abrahamic heir, God promised to David David, that the Messiah will rule from David's throne in Jerusalem, the city of the great king that Jesus describes. Jesus' heart is for Jerusalem. He loves all of us. He loves the world. He loves Ohio. You know, he loves it all, but his heart is for Jerusalem. In Matthew he says O oh, Jerusalem Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often i wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing see your house is left to you desolate for i say to you you shall see me no more until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord he didn't say that about columbus right he said that about jerusalem right? his heart is for jerusalem the promises and the fulfillment what his heart is desiring is to rule and reign in jerusalem That fulfills the promises to David, the promises to Abraham. And that is why Jerusalem and Israel is at the focus of the world and the rage of the nations and the rage of Satan. Jesus knows those promises. Jesus made made those promises, right? Those are his covenants from God. Like he is going to fulfill them. Satan knows that too, right? And so Satan's focus of hate and rage and anger in the nations is towards the Jewish people. It's described, and Jerusalem is described as this focus in Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There's a bajillion other passages in the Old Testament about this. All right? uh, Jerusalem is the center. Israel is the center. It's the centerpiece for where the war is happening. It's where the promises of J- Jesus. He said, "I'm going to rule and reign from Zion." And Satan says, "I'm going to do everything to stop that." Right? And that's why all the focus is into that tiny little nation that's less than the size of Ohio. That that city fought over for so many thousands of years. That's why, because of the promises that are here in the Bible and God's plan, it focuses and it centers on the physical land of Israel, that heritage, that inheritance that God promised to Abraham. <clears throat> and it continues to grow in our time. I, I just picked this up off the news, like I just did a random Google search, like, you know, anti-Semitism. This popped up, this is just last week uh, from PBS News. Anti-Defamation League reports dramatic rise in anti-Semitism in the U.S. I didn't have time to re- like just copy paste all the different news articles. You could look at them all, right? Like you just, just a quick Google search. Anti-Semitism, hate for Jewish people, on the rise. And it'll continue to rise. <clears throat> Jesus promises it. Jesus, in all of the discourse, says a time is coming more terrible than any before. There's nothing like it before. All right, a time is going to be coming that is worse than any before. That's a huge statement, right? Because we look back on all these terrible things that happened. A lot of us have had a chance to go to Holocaust Museum, and, and every time I go, it's just you just weep, right? The terribleness that happened. Um, and if you think back, even throughout history for the Jewish people, uh, the Babylonian exile they were eating their own children, all right? Inside, they're eating babies inside the walls of Jerusalem because they were being, uh, they were, <clears throat> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Under siege for so long, right? Uh, and they just killed in the street. Terrible, terrible things. And Jesus said, a worse time is coming. That's a heavy thing, right? That's a heavy thing. And the Holocaust is worse to us because it's fresh in our memory, but the Babylonian exile was no better, right? In fact, uh, this was an amazing statistic to me. Did uh, you know the Holocaust, the Jewish people have still not yet recovered from the Holocaust, there are less Jewish people now than there were at the beginning of the Holocaust. The pop the population has not yet caught up. You look at that graph, so that graph can grow, grow, grow. 1939 Holocaust, boom. You know, almost a third of the Jewish people wiped out instantaneously. Now 2014, you know, we're in 2023. The number has still not even reached back. That's how devastating that was. And Jesus says that the worst time is coming. We better be ready. Right? We better be ready. We better know the scriptures and know what's coming. Satan knows that. The church has not replaced the Jewish promises. How much more do we should we be convinced and know that we have not? All right. So, what should we do? How do we respond? How should we pray? You know, Joel gave us um, a lot of uh, really good points to pray for. I ask Becca to come back up and play, but I want to enter into a time to actually respond to the Lord for these things. <coughs> Joel gave us a list of things that we can do uh, in one of his messages. And again, I I recommend anybody to go check out the YouTube uh, recording from um, uh, the the message on Friday night. We were really blessed to have him. If you didn't get a chance to to listen to him, go just look up the Maranatha Summit. Um, But how should we pray? And, And Joel gave us a lot of really good points. Pray for the salvation of Jews globally. Share the gospel with Jews globally. Pray for the redemption of Israel. Support Israeli security. To advocate and fight the growing propaganda and lies. Uh, Create and provide safe havens and support Jewish immigration to Israel. And lastly, obey the Holy Spirit. Ask God, what is my role? You know, we talked about at the beginning of this message here that Isaiah 62 fast is coming up in in less than two weeks uh, or about two weeks. Uh, This is a global fast, um, not just one ministry. There's tons of ministries involved with it. Uh, It's not just an IHOP thing. This is a worldwide thing. People are catching this vision to pray Isaiah 62. And I think next week we'll talk a little bit more about Isaiah 62, but God's heart to ask the Gentile people, remember that that slide, it showed the the plan has always been for the salvation of nations and then the salvation of the Jewish people. We've received a blessing, right? We've received a a blessing to be grafted in. Our hearts should not then grow arrogant is what Paul says. Our hearts should actually turn to the Jewish people and lift up a prayer for them. Paul, his prayer for the Jewish people, he said, I'd be willing to lose my salvation for the Jewish people to be saved. That's a heavy thing. But Paul actually echoes God's heart in that. That's God's heart too. Paul's just echoing it I mean I love being uh, Chinese slash Taiwanese I love the Taiwanese people my heart is for Taiwan we're actually going on a mission trip to Taiwan next month I don't know that I'm going to give up my eternal salvation for the Taiwanese people really. the, like I, I I can't say that I would do that I don't love them that much but Paul's saying I love the Jewish people my people the the, the promised seed of Abraham the, the physical descendants of the promise I love them so much I would be willing to, to, to uh, give up my eternal salvation for them wow that's huge that's huge Let's join into that heart and say, God, what is on your heart for the Jewish people? And pray for them, right? especially in this time coming up that God is calling the world uh, to fast and to pray for the Jewish people, Isaiah, Isaiah 62. We're going to dive more again to next week, but let's just spend a, a few minutes here to, to pray for that. <coughs> <coughs> Would you join me in, in, in praying for Israel? Just lifting up any of these things, these topics here. <coughs> List. let's just spend a minute just e- even on your own just praying for these things <coughs> Jesus we ask you